Welcome to the Buddha Sasana Podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Austin, Texas. In the last two weeks, we saw how, after a lot of conceptual presumptiveness, contact puts us, that is, selves, in relation to things of the outside world. It turns out that this has a huge consequence for human well-being. Where there is offense, there is offense and defense. The world out there becomes a source of assets to exploit and dangers to repel. The world in here lives in a quest for personal advantage, lusting for the assets and fearful of the dangers but with only limited control over what is taken as an independent reality out there. A flood of consequences ensues. The next segment of the standard chain follows contact and consists of three escalating emotive responses to or degrees of interest in the objects of contact. So we ended last time with contact, but contact gives rise to feeling, feeling gives rise to craving, and craving gives rise to attachment. Then attachment goes on to give rise to becoming. Taking an interest, a feeling, vedana, is the affective quality that follows from and accompanies an instance of contact, essentially an immediate positive, negative, or neutral evaluation of the thing out there. That is, the experience of pleasure, displeasure, or indifference in response to the associated outer object of consciousness. Feeling is one of the five aggregates we've already met. Experience tells us that pleasure and suffering come in a variety of intensities from mild pleasure or agitation to bliss or agony. Suffering is perhaps most directly associated with our own bodily discomfort. A craving, tanha, builds upon a feeling and adds to it a forward-looking concern for the future attainment or retention of objects of gratification or for the future avoiding or voiding of objects of threat. Craving is of three kinds. Craving for sense pleasures, for becoming, and for becoming other. Sense pleasures include avoiding displeasure and acquiring things like wealth and fame, as well as the more immediate forms of sensual pleasure. Craving for becoming or becoming other has to do with our existential concerns, the need for survival, the need to be someone in particular, or the desire to end it all or become someone else at some stage. 
existential craving suggests the existence of a self which the subject-object duality has created a home for and which becomes more substantial through our attachments to be consummated in a subsequent link of the standard chain, becoming. A lot of drama happens around each instance of craving. Craving is a condition for suffering, ever shadowed by suffering, as the Four Noble Truths tell us. This represents a branch off the standard chain like this. Craving gives rise to suffering. At the same time, craving is the locus of unwholesome kamma, since it is rooted in the fires of greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed for objects of gratification, hatred of objects of threat, and delusion in that it is dependent on the fabrication of an illusory out there. Craving impels us to volitional, bodily, or verbal action, which calls for another branch from the standard chain. Attachment, upadana, results from the accumulation of craving around a mass of objects that grow where craving was initially present, sometimes to the level of self-identification. It should be noted that whereas feeling and craving are experiences that arise moment by moment, attachment is cumulative, like name and form, a potency built up by many instances of craving over time. Attachment also has a broader scope than craving, consisting of four types. Attachment to sensual pleasures, to norms and observances, to views, and to becoming. Views are particularly noteworthy here, as they seem to develop in order to justify and personalize the other forms of attachment. Primary among views is self-identity view, which we have encountered before. It can be appreciated how this arises from the subject-object dichotomy, reinforced by craving of object-by-subject. Additional existential views such as the alternatives of eternalism and annihilationism may follow on this view. Included here may also be very specific views not mentioned in the early discourses. For instance, those attached to personal wealth may develop strong opinions about property rights and taxation. Since attachment is made of habituated cravings, it is clear that any attachment will provide an additional condition for the recurrence of craving, a kind of hotbed of craving, and therefore of suffering. The Pali word for attachment also means fuel. The idea is that fire is something pervading the environment that attaches itself to fuel. Since each of the five aggregates can provide objects of attachment independent co-arising, the term upadana kanda stands for the aggregates of attachment. Cleverly, since the Pali word for attachment also means fuel, aggregates of attachment also means heaps of fuel or piles of firewood, which give rise to the flames of becoming. Nibbana, extinguishing, is what 
finally happens to those flames at awakening. Attachments individuate us. They mark our behaviors and give a sense of me and mind that is uniquely ours. If If one one is is preoccupied preoccupied with with form, form, that that is what what one one is measured by. Whatever Whatever one is measured by, that is how one is classified. The same passage with form is then repeated by the Buddha for each of the other aggregates, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness. Growing the world. Feeling, craving, and attachment turn our conceptual misperceptions into drama. They also provide fuel for additional misperceptions. There's a side branch from the standard 12-link series of dependent co-arising described in the Honeyball Sutta, which looks like this. Contact gives rise to feeling. Feeling gives rise to perception. Perception gives rise to thought. Thought gives rise to obsession and obsession gives rise to perceptions and notions. The relevant passage ends with, with that about which one has mentally obsessed as the source, perceptions and notions born of mental obsession beset a man with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye. The exact same passage with forms and I is then repeated by the Buddha with respect to sounds and ear, odors and nose, and so on. Obsession, papancha, is identified with the point at which this process runs wild. For instance, we contact through name and form the movement of a yellow object. Finding it of interest, we perceive Fluffy, the cat, based not only on the sense data, but also on remembered knowledge that we own said cat and that it frequents this forest. One thought leads to another, and pretty soon we're wondering if Fluffy is hungry, has fleas, has caught the mouse we saw yesterday, and so on. Soon we have a very busy mind indeed. All the while, we should keep in mind that consciousness is continually arising anew as it is drawn to points of interest, that is, to objects of non-neutral feeling, of craving, and particularly of attachment, both to what is desired or relished and to what is despised. When it alights somewhere, It brings with it a flood of formations that grow the experiential world from that point. When consciousness spends most of its time with what is craved, a world of craving is what grows, a world in which almost everything is an opportunity for or a threat to one's personal advantage, a world in which we are relentlessly in one moment enticed and in the next repelled. This basis by which the world grows is described metaphorically by the Buddha as follows. Consciousness is the seed, kamma the soil, 
and craving the moisture. Kamma here is the comic landscape made of the formations on which consciousness depends. What grows reflects our personal cravings and attachments, a world created in our own image. This represents a further and particularly pernicious distortion as we fabricate a world out there in which what is uninteresting or not of personal relevance is simply absent or just barely existent in that world. This has grave ethical consequences. For instance, international leaders or captains of industry often and notoriously make momentous political, military, or business decisions that take virtually no notice of the adverse impact they might have on millions of people or on entire ecosystems. In their experiential worlds in which more personal concerns occupy their minds, those people or ecosystems simply are not there. This is how denizens of the human realm become monsters and might well be one of the reasons the Buddha considered delusion much more dangerous than either greed or hatred. The Perpetuation of the Self We've seen that our crackling attachments measure us. They define who we are. They define our personal footprints, and they delineate me and mine. They keep us embroiled in our own special kind of suffering, and they give rise to becoming, rebirth, and the continuation of sangsara. The chain of dependent co-arising continues with attachment giving rise to becoming, becoming giving rise to birth, and birth giving rise to this mass of suffering. Becoming, bawa, often translated as existence, is the consummation of the sense of self, the consummation of thisness. A conceptual space for the self is initially provided through the bifurcation of the world into an in here and an out there. It's further established in the relation between self and other realized in feeling, craving, and attachment. In becoming, it becomes fixed in an identity as we cognize who we are and who we want to be. We become, in name and form, a rich locus of both subjective and objective experience, experiencing both in here and out there as a fully functioning and persisting entity in relation to the world we have fabricated. Continuing the metaphor for attachment, we are like the fire that arises from the fuel of our own needs. A fire has vitality. It sustains itself wherever it can. Birth is the projection of the consolidated and arisen being into a new life after this one. This is the only step in dependent co-arising we cannot explore directly in daily or meditative experience. We have to wait. Hot on the heels of birth or old age death suffering, the prospect of sangsara 
as the self takes on a new life with all the conditions present in this life. The standard 12-fold chain of dependent co-arising lists the most pernicious primary factors of human experience and the causal relations among these, an account that reveals the delusive quality of human cognition and how these qualities give rise step by step to the demon of self that possesses our bodies, thoughts, and actions to fill them with personal suffering and to bring harm to the world. This process persists in in an almost hopelessly entangled snarl of samsaric existence. The twelve links describe the arising of a self-centered pathology common to virtually all persons. The Practice of Disentangling the Mind The purpose of understanding the standard chain is that it exposes the points at which the pathology described here can be broken down, for if one link is broken, then the subsequent links cannot arise, for each link represents a necessary condition, though it is in general not a sufficient condition, for the link that follows. Awakening is the breakdown of the whole chain and therefore a total reworking of the age-old cognitive architecture of the human mind. The key to untangling the tangle is progressively to loosen each of the knots and snarls of dependent co-arising a little at a time. As one becomes looser, you will gain some more room for working on those nearby. Given enough time, the tangle will slowly unravel. As at least some of the snarls loosen, you will begin to gain some freedom and to suffer less. Life becomes less of a problem. Because the snarls co-arise, loosening one will tend to loosen the others. In the end, progress is likely to come quickly. The Buddha employed a similar simile to describe this situation. Just Just as as when an ocean-going ship rigged with masts and stays after six months on the water is left on shore for the winter, it stays weathered by the heat and wind, moistened by the clouds of a rainy season, easily wither and rot away, in the same way when a monk dwells devoting himself to development, his fetters easily wither and rot away. Loosening the links is accomplished by the great cure-all, the Noble Eightfold Path. Wisdom is practiced by coming to understand the teachings the Buddha provided concerning the various factors mentioned. If you are intent on awakening, you should engage the teachings I've tried to clarify here. The practice of virtue tends to struggle against self-centered craving in particular. We have seen that craving leads to the suffering of attachment and becoming. It also provides a footing for consciousness and is associated with the further growth of the fabricated world out there and with obsession with the things of the world. 
Virtually all links weaken with the weakening of craving, but the mast and rigging may not yet come down. Your primary practice with regard to the standard chain is mindfulness and concentration. For these develop investigation, insight, knowledge, and vision. It's through these that you will come to see the elusive way in which you fabricate your world. When you see this clearly and often, dispassion will arise and your fixed conceptualizations will become less compelling. These conceptualizations will fall away like well-worn toys of the enacted fantasies of childhood. Okay, we'll stop here for now, and beginning next week, we'll take up the topic of awakening.